0: Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast, Penn State, Ohio State, Saturday afternoon in Columbus. I will be there, Sean Fitz will be here, but for now we are right here bringing you a preview episode for this top 10 showdown. It's the third consecutive year. These two teams meet with major uh, Big Ten East division implications. In fact, the winner of this one pretty much seals their spot in Indianapolis for the Big Ten championship game. As we noted earlier this week, in fact, just yesterday, Ohio State, a major favorite, 18, 19 points, depending on where you look. And believe it or not, that's right around where it was back in 2016 when Penn State was last on ranked. Uh, and Ohio State was heading to town. So it gives you a bit of an indication on how folks see this Buckeyes team. We'll talk a little bit about how James Franklin views this Buckeyes team as well, and we'll get into some conversation on the matchup, our predictions, some recruiting stuff to get to, and we've got a mailbag to open up. Uh, But Sean, uh, ready or not, we are about 48 hours away from finding out how this one unfolds in Columbus.
1: Yep. It's the climax of the schedule, no doubt about it. Uh, This is a really, really good Ohio State team. It's a really good Penn State team. I think we've forgotten about that uh, just because we've spent so much time dissecting what's been wrong the last couple of weeks. Uh, You know, But Penn State's 9-0-1. Uh, They're going to go in there as a top 10 team, but they're going to go in as a big underdog. And, you know, looking at Ohio State, I think that's that's warranted. I mean, this is a fantastic football team. We talked to James Franklin on Wednesday night quite a bit, and kind of the theme about it was, hey, James, Talk about how good Ohio State is, and he certainly did. Um, he, he's got a ton of respect for this team. He knows they've got playmakers everywhere. He knows, uh, you know, he knows the personnel inside and out. So. Uh, be interesting to see how Penn State handles themselves. I think there is a path to victory. I, I don't know how likely that is, um, but Penn State's got a shot here. But it's not your your typical top ten matchup. It's not your you know you don't have your Saquon going out there uh, to, to to sort of deliver the blows and and wait for Ohio, Ohio State to counter. You kind of got to wait for for Ohio State to make his move. But we'll get to that a little bit. Like we said, we talked to Franklin uh, a bunch last night about Ohio State, but we also saw a little bit of practice. We talked about that on the podcast earlier this week which is actually just yesterday it seems like i just looked at you on this uh on this video conference but uh we saw a little bit of KJ Hamler and by a little bit of KJ Hamler. I mean, no, no practice, no, no helmet. Uh, he had his pads on. He was there. He was uh, lecturing Justin Shorter about playing on one side of the, the field. Um, you know, he looked he looked fine, but you really can't take much away from it. I think what what it comes down to is something that James Franklin said earlier in this week. It's in the doctor's hands now. They're taking him through all these different tests and protocols and everything. And there's a lot that goes into that. And you know, it could be no practice. It could be just a, doing a couple things. It could be not going to uh, uh, class or something because you don't know how he can it's just there's so many things that go on with this protocol I'm not, I don't want to call it concussion protocol because that's not something that's been released or anything like that but there's a lot of hoops to jump through and steps to make and right now as we saw him on Wednesday night just in the helmet really not doing much it uh, doesn't spur a ton of confidence in, in what we see for from him this weekend but Another thing James Franklin said on Tuesday, and, and most of his, his comments that we're, we're taking and uh, applying to KJ Hamler came to Noah Kane. And it's a couple of questions that you asked earlier this week. And Kane, he said, would not play because he's a freshman. He doesn't practice. He doesn't play. Well, Hamler's a bit of a different story. He's a third year guy, redshirt sophomore. If you don't have him in practice, that's okay. You can still go out. He's got experience. He knows what he's doing. You can play him on Saturday. So, him not being at practice on on, on Wednesday night, I, I take that uh, you know a little less than a couple weeks ago, when we saw Noah Kane just standing behind the formation.
0: That did lead us to see some interesting uh, receiver combinations out there over the course of the practice session, the, the the period we had access to, and and with Hamler, as you mentioned, very much focused in. Uh just a few yards behind the action, uh and and giving advice to the younger players out there. As you said, Justin Shorter, a guy that, you know, it's gotta be killing him right now, not to be involved on the play-by-play, rep by rep preparation for this matchup. Uh a little bit more clarity though when it comes to Noah Kane. Final question of the scrum with James Franklin. I I asked about Kane because he certainly was more active than you and I and, and our colleagues who get that, you know, 10, 15 minute session each week to check in on practice. This was the most we saw of Kane doing work with the offensive attack, um, and and you know, so I said, does that mean he's trending in the right direction? You know, Franklin confirmed that. You know, Again, he said it will be a game-time decision, though, so we're going to see Kane out there for the third straight Saturday working through his pregame uh, warm-ups. The last two weeks, he did not hit the field when the game started, and in each instance, Franklin confirmed that he could have played, but they have a lot of faith right now in that offensive backfield beyond Noah Kane, and he added that, Kane needs to be 100% because they can't afford to go up against this Ohio state team without uh, you know full throttle abilities. Uh, and so we'll find out, but I'm I, the sense I get Sean and, and I, maybe you disagree, but it's it certainly the ball is rolling towards uh, a positive result for Noah Kane, but we're not going to know until, you know, we see him either out there for the first snap. I, I would suggest that we'll still be journey Brown, but maybe the third series of the game, Noah Kane gets out there until then, Going to be a question where I'll probably ask it in the press box. Well,
1: I mean, I gotta, I gotta congratulate you. You got as much of an injury update from James Franklin as you're going to get. Game time decision is is pretty much as as clear as he's been on this, which is you know says something about the overall outlook on how you how you explain injuries. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's trending in a positive direction. Um, you know, as a freshman, I don't think you want to rush him back out there. You know, all of a sudden he's going to go back in. And he's going to you know have to take some hits to get acclimated. Is Ohio State the place you want him to take those hits to get acclimated? I don't know. So we'll see what happens. I agree with you. I think journey Brown will be the guy to start. I think Devin Ford will be in there a bunch as well. We saw them use the, those backs in the passing game at practice last night. You saw him use Ricky Slade in the passing game last night as well. So we'll see what happens, but, uh, Moving out of the out of the backfield and down the line, the tight ends uh, been a big story this year. Of course, we talked a bunch about Pat Fryermuth on the episode earlier this week and his draft status. You got to talk to Tyler Bowen today on a conference call with the media, uh, talked up his group a lot. And I've I've said it in the past. I'm a big fan of this group. And it, and again, it's it's really not fair to Zach Koontz and Brenton Strange uh, for for us to judge them as players right now because they have two. NFL NFL caliber tight ends playing in front of them they're just not getting on the field because of it
0: this is not the receiver spot where you say, "Where is the person who's who's going to step up and, and seize a, a spot?" There is not a spot to seize right now at tight end. Uh, Nick Bowers is healthy. Pat Fryermuth is among the best in America, regardless of what the Mackey Award semifinalist list may indicate. Um, and and Tyler Bone, you know, great conversation as always when we get him on these kind of phone calls Thursday morning. You know, he brought up the NFL draft status for Pat Fryermuth. Obviously, it's something that he and the staff. We're aware of the, I'm sure they were anticipating this going out into the public forum as it did on Tuesday afternoon with Pat confirming he can enter the draft if he'd like Bowen, as you'd expect cautious about going too far into that conversation. Hasn't had that kind of detailed dialogue with Pat yet or Pat's parents yet to this point, they say the the motivating factor for them is to make sure they can present Pat Friermuth with as, with as much information as possible so he can make the best decision possible. So we'll keep that one on the back burner for now. But a, a couple of things that, uh, you know, about those guys who are working behind the scenes that stood out, Zach Koontz, Brenton Strange, aside from the fact that he believes they are going to benefit from getting their game action in Brenton Strange caught a touchdown in the opener this year. We've seen Zach Kuntz involved in special teams, occasionally at tight end, depending on the circumstances and games. Uh, but but he, he mentioned both those guys' measurements right now. Zach Kuntz it's always been about adding the weight He talked about the kind of calories he was consuming this summer. Says he's holding about 250 pounds right now with that six foot seven and a half frame. Uh, And the one that stood out, Brenton Strange, who, who, you know, by all accounts came in and hit the ground running during the spring camp. Impressed, obviously, to the point where he got a chance to reach the end zone in his first college game against Idaho Came in at at around 211 pounds, Sean, back in January. Uh, Now Tyler Bowen says he's tipping the scales as of the other day, right around 245 pounds. So that is one of the more significant gains of this freshman class.
1: The January kids, uh, specifically Brenton Strange and Adisa Isaac, have just gone from... Uh, not much i mean both probably around 210 220 somewhere in there and now all of a sudden they're about 250 each i mean it's uh you know it's a pretty good spot to be in these these guys are really good athletes it was funny because i was thinking about what I said about Pat Fryermuth and his draft status yesterday. And, you know, he's not the freak athlete. He's a tremendous football player. I mean, he's an elite football player, one of the best tight ends in the country, but he's not the freak show. Zach Koontz is kind of the opposite. Zach Koontz is a really, really good athlete. Uh, he's got to work into being a college player, he's got to work at, at being an actual tight end. He's more of a receiver out of high school. Um, you know, it just uh, Pat was ready to go right away. Um, but athletically, I mean, Zach Coons probably has the best tools among those four guys in there. So, um, really interested to see what these guys can do over the next couple of years. Again, they're not going to do anything this year because of the guys in front of them. But you know, you, you open it up, you're going to lose at least Bowers after this season. And when you do, you got a couple of, of really good athletes who can step in there. Really interested to see in the spring the battle between Coons and Strange because I think they're very, very close um, because of the, of the track of their development. Uh, Brenton Strange is probably a a little bit more advanced as a, as a football player all around. I know Zach Coons had a tremendous high school uh, c- career down at Camp Hill, but Big step from a small school. Uh, big, you know, it's just a, a lot of things that he had to catch up and develop as a player. Strange had a little bit, uh, you know, less to go on that one. So really interested to see about how those guys handle it in the spring because I think that they, you know, you can go right back to it next year. You know, if Frymuth does stick around, you've got a really good uh, a group of tight ends coming back. You got Tyler Warren coming to the program. You want to get Theo Johnson into the program. Really, this the, this position group, I mean, as good as it gets on the offensive side of the ball right now.
0: It's become cyclical for the tight end room based on, you know, Tyler Bowen. I, I brought up the fact, how do, does the success of Pat Friermuth and to some degree Nick Bowers now following up with Mike Kosicki accomplished in Happy Valley? How does that lend itself to the recruiting trail? And you know, he says it, it opens doors and, and it allows you to present, uh, you know, tangible evidence to recruits across the country about what the tight end is is in your offense. And he said it dates back to his time at, at, uh, at, Fordham and, and, you know, working, working through the process with tight ends, working, developing the offensive scheme. And, and it's, it's certainly been sustained. You know, Joe Moorhead leaving has not impacted that. Um, and we've seen how Pat Frymuth quickly filled the shoes, um, you know, of Mike Kosicki last year. And by the way, one other note on Zach Koontz, in, in case people may have forgotten, it's gone by the wayside a little bit with the emergence of Pat Frymuth and him being kind of tucked away At almost six foot eight, he was a state hurdles champion in Pennsylvania, and he was actually the highest, more highly rated player crazy to think about now in, in 24-7 sports prospect rankings versus Friermuth and of course Brenton Strange no slouch he was a four-star composite recruit as well as they've kind of stockpiled these blue chips with Koontz
1: it was funny because I, I was beating the drum for Friermuth with Steve Wiltfong I said man this kid I saw him at camp at the whiteout camp uh before their senior years and I saw Friermuth play and just there was something different about him in terms of uh of the way that he moved the way that he caught and got upfield uh Zach Koontz was a little bit as you would expect, Expect for a guy that's six, seven and a half, and seventeen years old, a little more wonky. Just kind of, you know, he he was he was the athlete, and you saw the potential there. But Pat Firemuth looked like he was ready to go, so I beat that drum for Firemuth for a while. Steve says, "Hey." Zach Coons is six six seven and a half. He can run. Uh, he can do all these kind of things. If he hits, I mean, he's going to hit big, and I think that's still a possibility for the future. We had somebody post on our uh, on our board at Lions Twenty Four Seven earlier this week. Some of the numbers from the the board. I think KJ Hamler was up on his uh, Instagram posting about the board. Um, Thank you, KJ. Yeah, thanks, KJ. We appreciate the uh, hashtag content. But Zach Coons with a four six three forty, a four oh seven shuttle which is just insane when you talk about—I mean, this is a giraffe just kind of going back and forth running a shuttle. I mean, this is not easy to do. I mean, I, I, I can't think of a better way to explain it. 37 and a half inch vertical. Uh, the 40 and the vertical were second to Mike Kosicki. Mike Kosicki is a certified freak. Um, and, you know, the, the shuttle was first among tight ends. So Zach Koontz, you love what he brings athletically. You'd love for him to, to, to take that next step as a player, put it all together. You can have a weapon there. You can, you can see what you can get out of your six, seven and a half guy that can run like crazy. I, I'm really uh, excited to see what these guys can bring to the table in the next couple of years.
0: Before we shift the focus to Columbus, Sean, really quickly going back to when I saw Pat and, and and Zach may have been the same camp as you. It was the New Jersey opening regional before their senior years. They were out there running routes, you know, obviously both committed to Penn State guys that I was, I was concentrated in. And then you had Jason O'Way, who decided to try his hand at tight end that day, made a last second change from defensive line to tight end. And, and after every rep, he was kind of looking around like, where do I go next? How do I do this? And, obviously his career went in a different direction, but just funny to look back on the way these guys progress over the course of just a couple of years.
1: I think Jason cost himself the opening by working uh, as a, as a tight end that day, because that tight end group was so good. And we talk about Frymuth being snubbed from the Mackey list, Kyle Pitts. I don't know if Kyle Pitts was at that mm. uh, camp, but, Kyle Pitts was in that same class, and Penn State wanted him too. They were, you know, taking three tight ends was a bit, uh, you know, of a tall order. They wanted to take uh, Kyle Pitts, maybe turn him into a defensive end. He's just a kid; was a heck of a football player at Archbishop Wood. Um, but yeah, I mean, just uh, he, he, that's a really, really good tight end class. I think Penn State still got two really good ones. It's kind of like that, uh, uh, just. It's one of those situations where not everything is going to fall your way Kyle Pitts was one of the guys that Penn State identified for I think I think they offered Kyle Pitts before they offered Fryermuth. Um but uh, man it's
0: turned out well no matter what for 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 everybody involved. We'll see how it turns out for Penn State on Saturday as they head to Columbus. Again, a noon kickoff on Fox. A ton of pregame coverage all across your television schedule, it would appear. And number two, Ohio State Buckeyes versus the number eight Penn State Nittany Lions. Matchup number 35 all time. Uh, Ohio State leads that series, 1914 and uh, they have won six of the nine times these teams have played in a top 10 showdown, including each of the last couple of years. And Sean, I think everyone is familiar with the story. three, la- The last three games decided by five total points. Penn State winning in 2016, having its heart ripped out in the last couple of years and different circumstances. As I said, the line actually very, very similarly resembles where it was in 2016 when Penn State had not had a ranking of any kind for, I think, four years or so. And here we are, where Penn State is a team that we've covered all year extensively. They have looked very impressive at times. They have not looked their best since coming out of the second bye week, but we've talked about their strength of schedule. They are very much still in the college football playoff mix, and yet here they are, and things are trending towards them being almost a a three-touchdown underdog at Ohio
1: State. Well, that's going to reflect on their defense. I mean, their defense, it's funny because we talked about Uh, how this defense, how good they were, but they were playing at that level too. I mean, oftentimes you can talk up a unit, you can talk up a a group, and maybe they don't show their full potential, maybe they don't perform, but this group was performing over that that, that stretch that they had uh, against Iowa and Michigan and Michigan State, not world-beating offenses by any chance, but still, I mean, they looked fast, they looked aggressive, they went after it, and then all of a sudden they get that bye week, Uh, Minnesota comes out, hits them in the mouth, makes some plays, Indiana throws the ball all all over the place, now you, you don't know what you've got from that defense. And I think that's one of the reasons this line is so big coming into the season, you weren't worried about that defense, or, or midway through the season, even you weren't worried about that defense. Now all of a sudden you wonder how many how many yards Justin Fields can possibly throw for because you know you've given up what seven hundred and ten yards over the last two weeks uh to Minnesota and Indiana. And I mean that I I can't blame the odds makers. I can't blame those people for for not trusting Penn State's defense because in the last couple of weeks they just haven't gotten it done. Now On the other side, I understand where the line's coming from because Ohio State's really good. I mean, they've got playmakers everywhere, they've got, uh, and that's offense and defense, they've got solid special teams. Uh, I mean, they've gone out and they haven't played the best schedule, and that's obvious. I mean, you you look at up and down what they do, but they've come out and they've done exactly what they've had to do to get where they need to be. The, the, what the number two number two team in the country in the playoffs right now? Uh, I'm, I'm with Franklin. They're, they're either one, two, or three, and I can't keep them straight. Uh, but they're so good, uh, led by Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins in the backfield, really good receivers on offense. Uh, tight ends not really an issue. Uh, we'll get to the offensive line here in a bit, but there's just so many ways that they can hurt you and like Penn State they're a big play team but they've just got more tools to get it done
0: Yeah, the field situation that has developed at Ohio State has kind of been a nightmare realized for Nittany Lions fans. And and James Franklin referenced this on Tuesday when asked about it, saying, yeah, recruiting losses tend to hurt uh, a bit more when the player ends up, you know, on the opposite sideline in front of your face and you're dealing with it and it's impacting your uh, potential to chase championships. And Justin Fields is the guy that they need to stop 41 touchdowns, one interception on the season, 10 of those touchdowns coming on the ground. We know he's a major dual threat with that speed. And uh, it, to think that he shares that backfield with someone as established as J.K. Dobbins, uh, that is a frightening thought right now for Penn State. Now, one thing they've been able to hang their hat on this Penn State defense, Sean, and we've referenced this just about every show, it doesn't matter who they're playing, they've been pretty good against the run. And, and, and at times, a very, very good against the run. Uh, boy, would it go a long way if they can repeat that performance. But you're talking about a quarterback-running back tandem here here with Dobbins and fields where Dobbins has gone over a uh, thousand yards three times in his career. Uh, they've got some depth at running back other guys who can, who can give you some fits, but this is a different kind of two headed monster than, than anyone at, at Penn state's defense has faced this year. And I'd venture to, to wonder if maybe during their college careers, there was a question that came up, with a variety of defenders this week about uh, what Shaka Tony and with Antonio Shelton, where does this fields led offense, you know, rank among what you've seen. And it's hard for guys to, to compare him. They you know, they, they, talked about Shea Patterson's ability to move around uh, Peyton Ramsey's ability to move around, but th- those guys pale in comparison to what Justin Fields can do for this offensive attack for Ohio state. And, and James Franklin said it himself, Uh, Ohio State has been consistently good They've won double digit times. I think now eight straight seasons. But Justin Fields in Franklin's view has taken them to another level. Think about that for a second.
1: I mean, you've got you've got Justin Fields taking this offense to another level. Last year, their quarterback was Dwayne Haskins, who was a first-round pick. Now, he went to Washington, so, you know, you can throw that one in my face if you want, uh, so you can maybe not call him a true first-rounder. But, I mean, you just think about that statement because Haskins set records. He was fantastic. Now, the thing about Haskins is, and we saw it in the Penn State game last year, He had a ton of help, threw a ton of screens, let those guys do the thing, let Paris Campbell run a a 4-3 all the way up the way. Uh, Had Terry McLaurin, who we've seen has has turned out to be a really good NFL wide receiver. So had those tools around him. Now you've got uh, similar tools to work with with Justin Fields, but Justin Fields, can move around. D- Dwayne Haskins wasn't going to hurt you all that much with his legs. Justin Fields, you have to account for him on every play. Uh, it's one of the keys to, to, to my game, uh, or one of my keys to the game, is staying in front of him. Penn State hasn't done a tremendous job uh, with that. And and when Justin Fields get out there, gets out there. I mean, it's not uh, no, uh, it's not Nate Stanley, it's not uh, Peyton Ramsey. I mean, this guy when he takes off, he's going to take off. So I'd be really interested to see how they 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 handle Justin Fields because. James Franklin's right. I mean, you you replaced a first round quarterback, and you've elevated that game, or elevated that offense. It's just just
0: mind blowing to think about. And then you and flip guess, it. Oh, go ahead. Uh, and guess what? That supporting cast that Dwayne Haskins was able to lean on. Well, he's he's got the same built in thing around him with his skill set. I mean, you go through this list of receivers, moving beyond Dobbins, who was who was in his own right one of the top running backs in the country. Chris Olave leads the Big Ten with nine touchdown catches. Benjamin Victor, uh, K.J. Hill both came up big late in the Penn State game last year with, with long touchdowns that they really created with their ability to do things after the catch. And then you start to work your way. Oh, yeah, that's right. Garrett Wilson, who's contributed to this team with four touchdowns. He was a five star wide receiver recruit in the last class coming out of high school. So, uh, you know, they are where Penn State is aspiring to be and 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 having these recruiting cycles just continue to feed your powerhouse uh, and, and churn it and forward. They've been able to sustain it for a long time. Penn State, you could say, is on year three, four of of trying to match that level. But you know, Ohio State, you know, say what you will about how Urban Meyer exited the situation. The cupboard was completely stacked, and then you factor in J- Justin Fields' uh, arrival for for Ryan Day, and you number one. And, and what an arsenal at his disposal!
1: You made a point. I don't know if you tried to make it or not, but you said that's the that's the team they aspire to be, the program they aspire to be. And really it, it is. And you look at the difference between the depth and what they're rolling out there. So KJ Hamler gets hurt and Penn state, we're, we're looking at a, a, a number one receiver group of Jahan Dotson, Mac Hippenhammer, Dan Chisena, where one of those guys goes out for Ohio state and you're restocking it with, with guys that have produced, you know, big time recruits, but also guys that have produced at times when, when they've been called upon at, at the college level. So Just a big difference. Talked to somebody earlier this week. I mean, Penn State's lost the last two games by two points total. That's a bit misleading. When you're talking about programs, when you're talking about just everything in full, Penn State is more than two points behind Ohio State. The Ohio State's the standard, and I mean Ohio State's you know right up there with Bama and Clemson, and all those from from a program wide perspective. In my eyes, I mean one of the top, if you know, one of the top programs in the country. So uh, Penn State's still making strides. They've recruited well. Uh, Ohio State's still recruited really well as well, um, but Penn State has, has closed some of that gap, but uh, they're not there yet. You flip it over to D you've got guys you got guy. you got dudes that well they're bad step.
0: on defense right sean yeah that, that's the yeah, silver a, lining can, right
1: swiss cheese over there you got chase young coming back uh coincidentally um he had to miss the Rutgers game i'm sure that uh, lit a fire under him uh, first of a couple of Rutgers jokes we're gonna get to today, uh, but Malik Harrison is a freak at, at linebacker. Uh, Jeff Okuda at defense. The guy that I'm looking at, Sean Wade. If KJ Hamler plays, you're gonna see a lot of Sean Wade playing on KJ Hamler. That's gonna be a big matchup. Hamler got uh, the best of Ohio State last year. Had a really really good game. I think kind of you know was the big play guy that kind of uh, stuck him in the mouth and they, they you know they they staggered at times. So um, we'll see what happens with that. But really, I mean, just uh, not a ton of weaknesses, but. That said, I think there is a blueprint to success uh, for Penn State. If you're a listener of this podcast, you talk we talk all the time about how opposition can, you know, really string out the game and, and make things happen against Penn State and keep it close. Well, you just kind of got to flip that. I mean, Penn State's got to be the team that slows it down. Uh, maybe the weather's a big factor. It's supposed to be raining in Columbus this weekend. You slow it down, you you maybe build off of that drive that you finish the game with, run the ball, short stuff, uh, throw the ball to the the receiver or the the running backs out of the backfield. Just milk that clock and it and you know it's it's not it is a tad conservative but it's not just you know running the ball three times and getting out of there and seeing what you can do with it I mean you've got guys that can make plays so you got to go with those guys and uh, at the same time you know trying to try and uh, pick up an extra first down here or there, uh, use Blake Gillikin, who's been phenomenal this year, and, and really try and pin them back and, and make them do things that they're not necessarily comfortable doing. And we talk about how great Ohio State is, and and, and that's fair, but really hasn't had a ton of adversity thrown at it this way. So uh, I think that's the way to go it. You got to go right at uh, Ohio State. You got to slow the game down, get first downs, uh, stretch the game out, because anything as we've seen, we saw in 2016, anything can happen in the fourth quarter in a close game.
0: Patrick Murphy, who covers the Ohio State Buckeyes for 24-7 sports, he was on with us on our last episode, uh, spent a lot of time going over this Buckeyes team, and that's what he said, that's the one thing no one's sure about, with this squad quite yet and with Justin Fields is how will they respond if they're in a close game where one play kit can, can cause a, a major swing and you're into the second half. They've been able to put teams away and then shut the coffin closed. It's not been a situation where we've seen Penn state establish some big leads and then things get interesting in the second half because they go through some lulls again. Fields has not been on the field a lot in the fourth quarter. JK Dobbins has been out in the third quarter at times and you know, You think that adds up. I think that's one thing that is a bit concerning to me, Sean. We may have gone into this a bit yesterday. Sorry if that gets jumbled, but where is Penn State right now physically? We know Noah Kane, that's a factor. We know it's a factor for K.J. Hamler. Those are notable. But overall, because even with the bye week thrown in there, these, this five game stretch that they're emerging from and continuing, uh, with a sixth game here in Columbus, you weigh that against what Ohio State has gone through and being able to get guys to the sidelines, uh, get them, uh, you know, get them working towards recovery in the middle of a game toward next week and the teams that they have played, you know, They've played two teams that have been ranked. One of them was Michigan state and Michigan state hasn't won a game since then. So you throw that out the window as a formidable ranked opponent. The other was Wisconsin, a two loss Badgers team, still a very respectable win and the way they did it for Ohio state. But you know, Penn state, that's where I think you, you give them that puncher's chance in this one, because they have had to walk on eggshells. They've had tough moments that they've succeeded in and that they have failed into this point in the season. And, you know, I, I think mentally they're a strong team, but I do wonder about Penn state physically being able to withstand at the waves that Ohio state will throw at them on Saturday. Yeah. Much
1: tougher stretch than we uh, really, I guess would have laid out at the beginning of the year. Now, Ohio state, I think the thing to remember here, Ohio State's going to make plays. I mean, that's just a, Uh, that's all but a fact. I mean, you you know it's going to happen. Penn State has to trade blows with it. You got to roll with it. You got to come back and maybe hit your big play, uh, make plays of your own, maybe get a turnover, a special teams play. Um, What's interesting to me, uh, I think you got to take an early shot. And this is uh, something that kind of backfired on them at Minnesota. Uh, Again, I didn't hate the call. I hated the execution. It was obviously not good. But Take a shot early, see what you can do. If you get into a spot where you throw the ball up and they pick it off, and they're inside their own ten, it's not the end of the world. Uh, you got to come out and get a stop then, which is what they didn't do against Minnesota. Um, but I, I, I can—you got to pick your shots, um, stay in—you know, just kind of stay in rhythm. Uh, try and build again on that early, on that late drive last week. And, you know, maybe maybe something good happens. Uh, defensively, staying in front of Justin Fields is, is number one for me. I mean, you, you, you've let quarterbacks get out of the pocket all year long. Fields, uh, will beat you with his arms, but I, I or with his arm, but you know, he, he could probably throw, you know, he's only got one interception, but we we've seen in the past that, that guys, uh, you know, could throw the ball away or something could, something crazy could happen. You can get a bounce or a tip or something like that to me. I mean, you got to hold that pocket up, keep Justin Fields either in there or moving side to side, because when he gets going upfield, that's going to be a problem. So how do you beat Ohio State? Uh, it's obviously something that hasn't been done this year. I think you look at uh, you know some of the ways that you can beat Penn State. We talked about how Buffalo and and Pitt and some of these other teams had an uh, you know had an advantage when they threw numbers at the offensive line. I don't think this is a, a, a an elite offensive line. I think they've got some good players and obviously they've recruited well. But from from top to bottom, I think this is the part that you can attack on this Ohio State offense. Um, to really make a difference. Now you got to slow down J.K. Dobbins, so you don't want to get uh, just too gung ho about going after Fields. But I think if you put numbers up there, you fill gaps. I think we see a lot of Jan Johnson in gaps and and Micah Parsons in gaps and trying to to sort of slow things down from that aspect. So you can go at this offensive line. Penn State's defensive line, they're going to have to show back up. I mean, I know that they flashed at times this year. I know that they had the high expectations. Um, you know, has that completely gone away? It's not completely, but, you know, you kind of expected more from them at this point uh, in the season. I don't know that you're going to see. Um, the Indiana approach where Justin Fields just gets the ball out as quickly as possible. Now they can do that cause they've got tremendous speed on the outside. Um, but you know, the, the, they'll wait and you know, they'll actually drop him back and go down the field. So um, you know, I think Penn state can get to Justin Fields uh, whether they finish, they didn't finish against Peyton Ramsey last weekend. So we'll see what happens. So I think Penn state's defensive line has the opportunity to have an advantage over this offensive line. Um, really, you know, maybe shake them a little bit and get at them. Uh, you know, defensively, Uh, You got to keep those guys in front of you. The safety play the last couple of weeks has been awful um, really no getting around that. So you've got to, uh, you know, you got to lean on your front seven more than you lean on your back four. Uh, I mean, just based off the last couple of weeks, that's going to be a tall order for the secondary to, to hang with these Ohio state receivers. Maybe you get John Reed and Tariq Castro fields matched up and, and, and see what they can do on an island, see what they can do one-on-one. Um, you know, they've been at their worst where they're trying to hand receivers off, uh, to the safeties or to these other people in, in the secondary. So, be really interesting to see how Penn State approaches this. I don't think you're gonna see a full-blown cover zero or cover one approach where you're playing man on them on the outside every every play. But I mean it's gonna be a big game for this uh the defensive line in the corners, I I think especially. Um offensively, I think that's where everyone's gonna look because you know there's the perception that Penn State's offense uh kind of sucks. And you know, without KJ Hamler, or if they don't have KJ Hamler, that obviously puts a dent in what they're trying to do, but you've got some matchup advantages. If you get Werner, the linebacker, on Pat Fryermuth, that's something you have to take advantage of. And I think on the flip side of Justin Fields running, I think Sean Clifford can have some success with his legs. Now, maybe that's not uh, you know in the run game per se, but you know if he scrambles and gets around and and can make some plays with his feet, can, that's where maybe where you pick up that extra first down or t- or. or you know, first down or two over the course of the game, the screen game could help. I know that's not something Penn State has been doing very much uh, at all this season, but I think you can, you know, maybe take advantage of some of that pass rush. Um, that screen game can help to the backs, and, and and that short stuff can really help. And I think you know you're probably going to see more 12 personnel this week. I mean, you we talked about the tight ends earlier in this episode, how much they like them, how much they they can bring to this offense. Well, if you're if you're shorthanded at wide receiver, and even if you do have KJ Hamler you can lean on those tight ends maybe make it make things a little bit tighter keep it tight but not too tight um and 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 see what can happen and, and and try to build on the success that you had running the football last week try to build on that long drive and really just stretch it out i mean there's really not much else you can do because this is it. like i said ohio state's going to make those plays you have to accept that now um uh, they're phenomenal uh, on both sides of the ball they're going to make uh, big plays you just have to counter that with either big plays of your own or big drives that can set you up to be successful and take some time off the clock
0: this morning tyler bowen with the tip of the cap to what nick bowers has accomplished really stressed that how important the 12 personnel has become to what they're capable of doing offensively and uh, it's a real thing and, and I think if you take KJ Hamler out of the equation this game again, we do not know what his status will be on Saturday. I think we could see more of it than we have at any point for Penn State and that may be the course to go. And Again, this is why it's so big. Noah Kane's availability too. Of all the Penn State running backs, Journey Brown has, has his success. He's proven to be uh, more of a bounce running back than a lot of people anticipated, myself included, but Noah Kane is perfectly suited for a contest like this. I'm not saying you would give the ball to one guy exclusively. We have seen them do it of late journey Brown's been the guy but I think if you had a Brown and Kane available that would really give you a shot in the arm of what you're able able to do uh, now you can't expect Penn State to string together four nine nine uh minute drives and, and call it a day in Columbus, but you know, th- those lasting drives will stack up to keep the ball away from Ohio State. And I think you're right. That it, it's just difficult to see the matchup for Penn State's defense versus this Ohio State offense and feel good about the Nittany Lions chances in this game. I, you know, we we've spoken for so much about how this defense was gonna keep Penn State in every game and even the Ohio State game, and when we see how the offense would come along and you know the offense has had its hits and misses i think they, they, they've been uh, about as good as you could have expected considering uh some of the emergence of these first year starters and you know maybe looking for more out of the receiver spot but Ohio State's defense, or I'm sorry, Ohio State's offense is about as explosive as anything you'll find in the country. And Penn State's defense is just not peaking at the right time, unless, you know, they're going to surprise all of us and come up with, with their most solid performance in a while. You know, 10 sacks against that Purdue game, which feels like forever ago, the homecoming matchup, eight total sacks since then. And it feels like in this particular circumstance, Penn State's gonna be searching for a superstar performance, singular performance from a from a player. I I don't know if it's Micah Parsons, Yitor Gross Matos, Shaka Tony. I don't know who that is, but it almost feels like that's required uh, for this game, for, for a Penn State defensive player to step up, uh, make, a, uh, make multiple game-changing kind of plays, and really be the force that can counter so much of the star power Ohio State will throw your way. And And I think there is also in a, a risk to being aggressive with that pass rush and trying to throw a lot of numbers at fields, because we've we've seen how Penn State has had trouble handling guys in space. And if you think Indiana and Minneapolis uh, through different players playmakers downfield and and made things difficult this Ohio State offensive attack we've gone over it there is such an array of options for Justin Fields guys who you can get a a five-yard dump off to and there's several of them who will make you pay with long gains maybe get to the end zone with their athleticism and speed so uh you know it's 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 walking on eggshells for this Penn State defense until proven otherwise I think on Saturday
1: well, I, I think walking on eggshells is, is not the way to go about it. I mean, you talk about uh, you, you, you got to be aggressive. You got to keep doing your things, and this is something that Franklin talked about on Wednesday night: is you got to keep up with what made you successful. Sure, you go out and you try to exploit the advantages. You try and you know maybe go with that offensive line a little harder, but you have to stick with your your base offense, your base defense, and go from there. So I don't think that walking on you know if you walk on eggshells, yeah, excuse me you walk on eggshells you I mean that gives you the potential to get blown out so I don't think
0: they should I don't think the Penn State's defense should walk on eggshells I'm thinking my perspective is going to be this defense is on shaky ground Going into the game, and until they prove otherwise, that's going to be kind of the mindset because I, you know, I think when you look at this matchup right now, the way Penn State's defense has underperformed in regards the last couple of weeks, and and they've gone up against some key playmakers, but I just feel like there's not a lot of benefit of the doubt that we envisioned even going into a game like Ohio State. This defense has had the benefit of the doubt, had the benefit of the doubt, and that's that's waned a little bit of late.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you 100. percent I mean, we, we we came into the season and we thought that. Penn State's defense could keep it in every game, and now you know all of a sudden they can't stop anybody. So, it's going to be really tough to uh, to see how that uh, comes about. Also, uh, Ohio State with just nine turnovers this year, uh, eight fumbles, one interception. That's not ideal uh, if you're going into uh, the the horseshoe. You know you got to protect the football. You know you got to keep the penalties down. Blake Gillikin, you know if this is a close game, can be uh, something in your back pocket. But they've also got Drew Chrisman on the other side as one of the best punters that that I've seen come through. So. Really just, uh, it's a a tall order for Penn State. We're going to get back to predictions when we come back from the commercial break, talk a little bit more recruiting, also open up the mailbag a little bit right after this.
0: All right, it's prediction time, Penn State, Ohio State. As we said, the Buckeyes favored by 18, 19 points in this game. And unfortunately, we aren't really going to quell your concerns here, Sean, myself, any of the 24-7 sports predictors who posted uh, their score picks on the site this week. Uh, I'll, I'll start it off, Sean. I've got Penn State... Covering the spread, but but falling to 9-2, and two, losing 34-24. to 24. I do think this is a game where they will be playing uh, keep-up throughout the course of the contest, and I, I think even if K.J. Hamler and Noah Kane play, I just wonder about their ability to counter some of those explosive plays that Ohio State will produce over the course of these four quarters. I think it'll be the biggest test that Ohio State has faced this season. Say the same thing about Penn State as well, and Um, I I just think Sean Clifford and the defense are going to be able to deliver essentially the games of the year in their own regard. I don't see both of those things happening uh, in the same game. And uh, in general, I'm going to be very curious to see how Sean Clifford handles this emotional setting. And it's going to be a game that I think lends to a narrative about him going into his first offseason as the starting quarterback. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into that and the outside noise as well. So very curious to see what he comes up with. But I do think... A Penn State will fall by ten points.
1: You don't have to play a perfect game. Um, you you have to be pretty darn close. You got to play probably your best game of the season. But uh, I mean, you've got an opportunity, so I can see it happening. I, I don't see it happening, but I could see the the, the path uh, that they could have to success. Got to protect the football. You got to, uh, you know. You and I were just talking about the the Michigan game a couple of years ago, where uh, Chris Olave blocked the punt, and all of a sudden it just swings. You gotta you gotta avoid moments like that. You gotta keep the ball safe and and go from there. Um, like we said, they're gonna make plays. You just can't uh, fall into helping them make the plays or, or making the plays for them. So some of that falls on Clifford. Some of that falls, you know, all around all around the coaching staff, all around the roster, things like that. I have Penn State. Uh, Falling, I believe it was 38-21, a 17-point game. I think I had, uh, among you, uh, Mark Brennan and myself, I think I had the largest spread. We had a bunch of guys that picked the even bigger margins of that. But, I mean, it's just a tough, tough order. And when you talk about the college football playoff, Ohio State, you know, is in a great spot right now. They could be in a better spot. I mean, a win over a top 10 program. It's style point season. Uh, I don't see them taking the foot off the gas like they've done with some of the the teams they played in the last couple of weeks. So, you you know, Ohio State's going to have every opportunity to come out and, and, and take care of business. I think they do. I think Penn State can hang for a while. Uh, it's just a, a it's a lot to ask. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably sick of us talking about how good Ohio State is right now. And I, I get it. Uh, but uh, this is the number two team in the country for a reason. And they're playing at home. Uh, maybe you get a little help from the weather. Maybe you get a little help from the early start time. But you take care of business. You can hang into this one. But I, I, I see Ohio State uh,
0: pulling away with it. You've got the Buckeyes by 17. I'm at 10 points. Mark Brennan also at 10 points. He's got 31-21. But the average uh, in totality of our predictions on lines 24-7, uh, Ohio State 40, Penn State 19. So not a lot of optimism. In fact, no one picked Penn State in this game. And uh, I'm, I'm sure the Nittany Lions would love to prove us wrong. And if we're back on the post-game podcast Saturday afternoon talking about a Nittany Lions win and what could lie beyond that. Well, then we're happy to shift the narrative and turn our focus then. But uh, a lot, obviously, would, would a lot tremendous, to prove. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be
1: tremendously happy to eat some crow on that one uh, because that's uh, that's that's booking flight to Indianapolis territory. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it's just it, it's so big to think about how, you know, how big or how how much this Ohio State team has on the line, Big Ten title, uh, college football playoff. It's hard to imagine them coming out and laying an egg. Uh, Penn State's got to be on it, and to be quite frank, I mean, you just don't have that confidence in the defense that you had just a couple of weeks ago. So um, we'll see what happens, whether they can slow this offense. I don't I don't think you can stop this offense, but you can slow it, keep it uh, held uh, keep it held up, and and maybe see what happens late in the game. But it's, uh, it's,
0: it's a tough one for a reason. They're number two for a reason. Well, if the present discussion is alarming to Penn State fans, and again, we'll find out. We'll, we'll both be in Columbus. It'll be nice not to be communicating uh, sev- uh, several hundred miles away for the post-game podcast for a change. So we'll have you covered with whatever goes down. But in the meantime, one thing we can always count on is recruiting news. And, and Sean, we're getting towards the tail end of the 2020 recruiting cycle, now 27 days away from when we're recording here on a Thursday to the start of the early signing period. Do you have like
1: a calendar on your, like a countdown clock on I, your wall or something like that? Cause you're, you're on this.
0: I've been covering college football recruiting very long. And I don't know if as long as you, but apparently the, maybe cause you have the kids at night's like distraction. There's a part of my brain that saves space for this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, the cat is not distracting enough to, to turn my attention. The wife can be, but not if, the cat. If, if you if you guys <laughs> do have
1: kids, you will lose that part of your brain very quickly. So don't just hold on to it as long as you can. Just kind of savor it and, and hold on. Uh, we're, we're talking recruiting now. Penn State 28 commits in the class of 2020. Of course, still guys out there. Theo Johnson, Sean Martin, uh, a couple of other guys. But those are the two that, that we're really focused on. Seems pretty solid across the board. And, and you kind of hate saying it, but the R.J. Adams thing looks Looks like it may have helped you because I mean you you had players talking to other schools. It doesn't appear that you know, nobody's popped up on visits that we're aware of uh, other than RJ Adams going to Kentucky in September. So it seems like things are pretty solid on that aspect. Um, you look at the guys that they have, and there's some pretty good ones in there. It's not the you know it's not the highest ranked class that they've signed in the last couple of years. They're big in numbers. They're big at, at specific spots, and there's some guys that really have helped themselves with good senior years. Uh, you know I love Curtis Jacobs. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago. Kid just does it all. Um, the, I, I think we we covered a little bit uh, at the end of his season. But Parker Washington in in Texas. This is a, a kid that's really interesting to me because you take a look at what he's been able to do this year, and he you know it seems like he's making a one-handed catch every week, uh, putting up big numbers, doing doing his uh, his uh, you know I guess bulk catches thing. Uh, but he's a pretty good player. We bumped into four-star on 24-7 Sports, so he's um, taking it up a step. We've got a question in the mailbag about green lights. And you and I both said, and this is the second name that popped up, was Parker Washington.
0: Yeah, you want to talk about big numbers, Sean. The last couple of years as an upperclassman, he's at just about 130 receptions total in those two seasons. He's up around 2,400 receiving yards in those two seasons and 32 touchdowns. An extremely productive player who who looks, you know, he, he looks pretty polished out there working his way through it. Steve Wiltfong has been, uh, you know, kind of banging the drum about him being a bit of an overlooked player at the position over the course of the cycle. And, and now here he is, you know, I, I, I think him, and Keandre Lambert, I think those two guys had the potential to, to come in here, um, and really push the guys who are already on campus. I think receiver's going to be a position to, to monitor closely. Um, but uh, moving on from those guys, whose stock is up through, through their final prep campaign, I think you got to look back down at Florida, Kaziah Holmes, uh, just, just every bit of the electric speedster. Talk about a guy in space who can make it happen. He fits the bill hopefully people caught his, uh, his interview on our podcast right, right before his senior season. And in the journey, it took him to get to the position where he was getting the ball. He was slotted at safety. He kind of fell out of love with football. And then he got a chance to play a little quarterback and, and, and it sparked something in him. And he is a guy who, you know, that's another spot running back. What, what's that room going to look like in 2019 or 2020? I do know because I is going to come in and, and, and do his best to make some noise. He's been phenomenal this year, and it was kind of it's
1: interesting because running backs, you know, you kind of uh, lump them into their own little category when talking about uh, production in high school because you know you should be faster than everybody. He's done it really. Uh, he's kind of exceeded my expectations for him. I really wasn't expecting uh, him to do it the way that he's done it. Uh, he can he can be shifty. He can be a one cut guy and get up the field. And when he goes, he goes. I mean, this is this is. Um, you know, I, I I don't really want to compare him to Journey Brown, but he's got legit speed. Uh, maybe not not as fast as Journey was in high school. No, nobody really is as fast as Journey was in high school. But Holmes uh, just has put it all together, um, taken the next step as a senior. You're never sure how those guys are gonna you know handle it. Plays for a phenomenal uh, high school program at Coco. He's played, uh, you know, he's played running back. He's played in the slot. He's played uh, Wildcat quarterback. He's been productive at all of them. I uh, had a 99-yard touchdown run earlier this season. So, you know, as as much as I kind of downplay running backs personally, uh, Kaziah Holmes has really taken the next step. Flipping to the other side, Zariah Fisher. I, I still think we're going to bump him at 24-7 sports. Uh, that's not my call, obviously, but had a phenomenal senior season. The kid moves differently, and, and I, I still see him as a defensive end eventually, but I think he will get a shot at linebacker just based off of you know how, the way that he moves, the way that he runs, his nose for the football, his instincts. He just kind of brings it all together. He's also got ridiculous length. I mean, he's about 6'3", but he's got uh, those Sharif Miller 34-plus-inch 34, 34 arms that make him like a 6'5 guy on the edge. So I do eventually see him moving to, to defensive end, but this is just one of those uh, those football players. And he's just uh, he's had a great senior year. He's uh, I mean, athletically, I don't have a documented time on him, which I'd like to get. Uh, we'd like to get probably before we bump him. But you see him. He's get the, he gets he gets to the football. He rips that football out and he goes the other way. He's uh, it, kind of a special player in Western Pennsylvania.
0: And he may be the guy, best bet to be that that prospect in this class who turns out like you know. Oh, I think maybe everyone looked beyond his commitment a little bit. Now that came in September after a a, a postponement. You weren't talking about Penn State fighting Ohio State or fighting Alabama for this commitment. You know, it didn't have a lot of luster. He's barely inside the top one thousand when you look at the composite prospect rankings right now. But by the way, he's number ten in Pennsylvania and barely inside the top one thousand. That gives you a good indication of of where Pennsylvania is in the 2020 recruiting cycle but I think for an in-state prospect his commitment didn't come with a lot of noise I do think you know two three years down the line that's one that you may circle and say uh, you know this this, this kid was, was a bit of an oversight uh not just among any Lions fans but maybe some other teams that that neglected to offer him along the way He
1: seems like one of those kids that goes to Michigan State and then all of a sudden pops up as an all-Big Ten player and a three-year starter for for a team like Michigan State or Wisconsin or something like that. So, um, yeah, Zariah Fisher, very high on Really interested to see Lackawanna was uh, undefeated this year once again. Uh, I believe they're going to the JUCO national championship game. Um, really uh, good years from Norval Black and Jair Brown, both guys. Uh, you know, at at Lackawanna, interested to see that they're. You know, you kind of think immediate impact with the JUCOs, and you didn't have it with Anthony Wigan uh, this year. Jaquan Brisker has played a bunch up until last week. You know, he's been kind of up and down, but. Jair uh, Jair Brown is a guy that can come in and play and add to that safety depth right away. Norval Black, you know, they're going to be looking for receivers, especially, uh, you know, with the situation that they're currently in. So these Juco guys have have helped themselves. I think they're kind of forgotten when you talk about the class, and they're going to be called upon right away. I mean, I, I, I see them playing next year if it's not just special, you know, if it's not just defense or offense, special teams as well. So a couple of good players there. Then you've got the guys that you know, maybe some of them may end up seeing bumps, but you're, you're just kind of more intrigued by. And I'm going to start with Tyler Warren, the tight end from Virginia. Uh, talk to some people down there that just think Penn State's getting an absolute stud. Um, you know, he doesn't play tight end. He's a, he's a high school quarterback. He's been incredibly productive as a high school quarterback, but he's one of those guys that's sort of that That all-around athlete, uh, really good basketball player as well. Kind of came out of nowhere in terms of his commitment, but Penn State was on him for a while. Of course, was committed to Virginia Tech as a quarterback. He's not a Power 5 quarterback. Uh, I don't know. He's not holding out aspirations to be that guy. But uh, as an athlete, as a tight end, I think he fits into that tight end room, and we talked about that earlier. That bar is very high right now, and I think Tyler Warren can be a guy that you look to in a couple of years and think, man, why did we forget about this kid? Where did he come from?
0: Maybe you know the most interesting man in the recruiting class because you know, the, the quarterback commitment to a different school, and by the way how how rare is this? no Twitter account you know he, he he wasn't out we didn't really there's not a lot of history to navigate on this kid uh he's not out there putting his highlights on social media every week, and I, I think these are all great resources, but just kind of an a bit of an unknown uh, and, and really a compelling guy, and if Tyler Bowen sees potential in him at tight end i i'm I'm on board, and I'm very curious.
1: Yeah, if Penn State offers you as a tight end right now, they're, 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 You know that's, that's a good spot to be in. Moving on, Devin Willick, we talked about him, had him kind of written down here before the injury because this is a topic we wanted to get to a couple of weeks ago. He had a good year. We'll see how he bounces back. Very intriguing. Uh, this guy, you know, he was kind of, I, w- I was not very high on him to start with. When he started his senior year, his tape looked very different. Uh, it moved his feet well. Again, we'll see what how he bounces back with the uh, from the injury. But, uh, you know, it could end up being a very good pickup. Bryce mustella is kind of the definition of intrigued by, uh, both as a player and off the field. <laughs> as a very interesting cat, uh, no doubt about it. I'm not sure what to make of him. He He's all potential right now. He just posted his highlights from his senior year. You can see some good things in there, but you can see he is as raw as they come. He's not going to have to play right away. Uh, he's probably not going to play in his first two years, um, especially with guys in front of him like Smith, Vilbert, and uh, you know a couple of defensive. Adisa Isaac's going to be a true sophomore next year, so they don't need him. Curious to see how he fills out and develops. I know just kind of from talking to people on the Penn State side, they're just they're, they're kind of the same way. It's it's so intriguing. He's got a, a tremendous frame. He's got an athletic base to work with. Uh, just kind of get
0: got to get him to being a football player, and we'll see what happens. Another big ball of clay for Sean Spencer to to dig his hands into it and figure out what he wants to turn that player into in the defensive line room. They've had so many interesting prospects. Uh, this one happens to be, you know, pushing six 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 seven according to his twenty four seven sports profile. And if anyone saw his commitment video or has followed him on social media, you know this is somebody that we in the media can't wait to get in front of us with a microphone.
1: I'm gonna try and get Tyler to interview him for the podcast. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that's gonna go. So I'm gonna throw. He'll you end under up interviewing.
0: He'll end up somehow interviewing me without me realizing it.
1: Oh, poor guy. Uh, another guy <laughs> in that in that uh, sort of profile. Malik Mega up in Canada. 38 catches, 880 yards, six touchdowns. Uh, just posted his senior highlights as well. Playing Canadian football, so it's a bit different. I mean, he's in motion pretty much on every play, either down the line or or going. Runs a ton of double moves. uh, Just as, again, he's as raw as they come. I don't see him playing next year, but uh, I can see where Penn State likes him just uh, another guy that's all potential he ran that 442 I think he ran close to a four5 for Penn State uh, at uh, at camp this summer so you know he can he can run curious about his short area quickness how he's gonna turn and run routes I, I know that he's not uh, the most polished in that aspect but there's a lot to like about Malik mega and you know even you've put 30 pounds on him he could be a tight end too so I'm really interested to see how he develops over the next couple of years but these are guys more intriguing than you know good right now but there's a mix of that in this class because there's there's guys that you can see playing right away and then there's guys that maybe won't make an impact for the next couple of years
0: Want to mention Megatron? Not just because the nickname, sort of because of the nickname, but but do have some of the numbers. Mostly because of the mostly nickname, because Jeff, of the yeah. nickname, but mainly uh, Sean. I have some numbers here in front of me on, on Mega. Uh, you know, we talked about the size, It's nearing six foot four, hundred ninety pounds. It's a sub four da- uh, one shuttle and a 40 yard dash with about a thirty six inch vertical. So put that all together, and yes, quite the promising prospect.
1: Yep. Uh, so that's going to lead us into our mailbag, which we brought back today. Um, the first question we got related to the 2020 class: Who in the 2020 could be a green light? And obviously, with the with the red shirt rules, it's kind of foggy. Um, but uh, I look at Curtis Jacobs and say, green light all the way, man. I mean, I know that uh, you know Lance Dixon is is red shirting this year, but you know Cam Brown's out of there, Jan Johnson's out of there. Not quite sure where Curtis Jacobs fits into where you want to play him. I think he can play any of the three spots that Penn State has, but I think he's a guy that can play special teams right away. He's athletic enough. Just to me, he's the best player every time he steps on the field. And and you're gonna want to have those guys um excuse me, you're gonna want to have those guys play early because you don't know how long you're gonna have him. I think he's a tremendous prospect. I think he's a guy that plays right off the bat next year. And uh yeah, be really interesting how interested to see how he develops just right off the bat.
0: Completely agree with Curtis Jacobs. Uh looking at the offensive group, again, with the way things have gone at wide receiver this year. Not seeing Weston Carr in his final year emerge as a grad transfer. Still not knowing what you have and and, and Cam Sullivan-Brown and Matt Kippenhammer as staples of your offensive attack. And then in year two, Daniel George and, and Justin Shorter, I think it's fair to say, an underwhelming result for them through 10 games. So that leads me to believe that there is going to be an open door in the wide receiver room next year. And I think the two guys I point to, not someone like Mega, who who I think, you know, needs some time to to be incubated and develop. Uh, you look at Keandre Lambert, uh, someone who's about as smooth as I've seen at this level uh, at the wide receiver position. He needs some physical development, but I think he's ready from a competitive standpoint, mental standpoint, and and just his, his traits as a receiver. He's ready to roll. And the same thing with Parker Washington. I think Keandre Lambert is the higher caliber uh, receiver recruit from what I have seen, but I think either of those guys could come in and push, and, and I think either of those players, um, as immediate instant impact guys coming in as freshmen, I would place them ahead of the two freshmen who came on campus this year with Dunmore and, and TJ Jones, uh, and above the rest of the fray in that pretty big wide receiver class for 2020.
1: Yeah, in terms of immediate impact, I kind of like Washington a little bit better than Lambert. He's got he's kind of already built there, a um, little different body type. So we'll see what happens with them. Lambert's a January uh, enrollee, so that that should certainly help him. Another January enrollee, Joseph Johnson. Uh, just you see what's out there at cornerback this year. Now they're redshirting a couple of those guys, including Joey Porter. Um, who's kind of in the same body type. But if he comes in, tests well, plays well in the spring, I mean, it, it, the, the evidence is out there that they're going to be able to play them. They're playing Keaton uh, Ellis and Marquise Wilson right away. Uh, you're not going to have John Reed back. Uh, who knows what's, what Dury what Castro Fields is going to end up doing. So uh, there's certainly sp- space out there for someone to come in as a corner and, and make an impact. Joseph Johnson can be in there. Another guy on defense, I mentioned him earlier, Zariah Fisher is very intriguing to me in the sense that Jesse Lucchetta was a couple of years ago. You could play him on special teams, maybe play him a little bit at linebacker, maybe play him, you know, eventually. I'm not sure when that's, I, I feel confident that switch is going to happen. Just don't know if it's going to be like Nick Tarburton, you know, a couple weeks into his career or, you know, somebody else a season into their career. But I think Zariah Fisher is a good enough football player. He can play on special teams. Could be one of those guys that you see out there getting four games and, 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 and with the redshirt rules, that's kind of changed this whole thing. And then on top of that, the running backs—you know—you're not in the business of redshirting running backs anymore. So we'll see what happens with Kaziah Holmes, Kevon Lee. Uh, Holmes is going to come in in January as well, so he's got an opportunity. You're not sure what that running back room is going to look like next year. You never know in the in the portal era. So um, be interesting to see how some of these guys can transfer. And of course, you got the junior college guys as well.
0: One other name I'll throw in there, and we probably don't talk about him enough considering he's the second-ranked guy among this class when you look at the composite rankings. But Enzo Jennings, you know, what they have at safety – what they may be moving forward uh without at safety next year and and you know Tyler Rudolph we don't know how he's handling things behind the scenes uh you know he's not a guy who's gotten a chance to play much in game action as the freshman there and you know the year before that you lose a safety out of your class with Humphreys so I, I do wonder if that's a spot where maybe the pathway is in place uh for a player like Enzo Jennings to come in and make a quick rise to the two deep Second question: Can I put any faith into the
1: idea that Ohio State has pretty much had three straight bye weeks and will be a bit rusty when playing their first legit team in a month? Um, you you can put some faith into it. I I wouldn't suggest it. Um, they've taken care of business no matter what. Of course, the schedule has set up pretty nicely for them: Maryland and Rutgers, the last two games. So uh, I suppose I mean if. They could have trouble turning it back on. Maybe uh, it looked like they they were okay last week and just kind of rolled over Rutgers. Uh, I think uh, Fields was out of there by the end of the first half. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't count on that. I, I I suppose
0: it's possible, but I wouldn't count on that. It, according to that question, uh, both me and the Buckeyes went to Piscataway for a bye week this year, so that, that's nice. We have that in common. Uh, in terms of will this Buckeyes team be prepared to you know go for launch at noon on Saturday? I think we've already gone over the fact that there is so much at stake on both sidelines. Ohio State is home. Uh, They don't downplay that situation. But ultimately, you know, look, this is a a spot for them where nothing should be sneaking up on them. There shouldn't be any foot off the gas pedal. You know, Penn State has pushed a lot of these guys in the Buckeyes to the brink the last couple of years. They're very aware of that. And I think Justin Fields, you know, certainly has respect for the Penn State football program considering he spent a significant portion of his recruitment committed to Penn State. So, yeah, I, I don't see, you know, Ohio State being in a spot spot where they're taken aback by Penn State being a good team Um, and and, you know that's usually when you see these kind of cases coming to be again I'd be more, more curious if we're talking about a game that is hanging in the balance let's say a one possession game midway through the third quarter going toward the fourth quarter how is Ohio State handling more of that late situation because that is what they have not yet encountered in 2019 yeah, make them uncomfortable and go
1: from there. Um, on the on our message board, Linus twenty four seven. You put the uh, mailbag thread out specifically for you. Are you concerned Penn State might be looking ahead to Rutgers next week?
0: Uh, I certainly am. I know my wife is, but uh, no, I, no, I I don't think that's an issue for anyone. I mean, I, I, there was hopes at one point it would be the grand finale for Chris Ash. He didn't survive September. I could see you know Penn State f- players being pretty jazzed up for that, but uh, no, I, I don't see any any looking beyond this one. But thank you to uh, thank, I don't know who wrote that, but well done, well played. I, I don't t- know that was- and and, there, and this is not. You know what? You are inspiring. Uh, you are inspiring this, Sean. I'm put. I'm putting this on you.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm enabling it, and I love it. Um, but uh, I don't think there was anything grand about the Ash era. But there was a second part of that question. Um, I, I, we thought it was a good one. Which do you think is most important for Penn State to be in a position to win? Do you keep J.K. Dobbins under four yards of carry, keep Justin Fields under 250 yards passing, or keeping Chase Young to less than three sacks or tackle for loss? I know my answer. What do you got?
0: Uh, man, they, they're, they're, that's a great question, the second half of that. Um, I, I'm actually... Fields has not put up big passing numbers uh, because he hasn't really needed to, and, and he's been yanked early in these games. But the way this Penn State defense has, has performed and, and the way they've been able to work against the run, I'm more concerned about their ability to stop the pass. And I think if they can limit Justin Fields in that regard, you got to worry about what he can do as a runner uh Man, this is a great question. I'll, I'll lean towards the fields, but all three of those make a lot of sense in terms of what would benefit. I'd probably put Chase Young slotted as the number two and then J.K. Dobbins as the number three.
1: I'll go with uh, Chase Young. He, he wrecked this game last year, undoubtedly. Uh, he's a phenomenal player, probably the top defensive player in college football. Um, I mean, it, I think that's more of a, a trend question than, than an absolute keeping Chase Young to three sacks or tackle for loss. He's going to get his stats. It's about protecting Sean Clifford because these sacks can turn into turnovers. These sacks can turn into strip sacks. We saw it last week. Um, whether Young is going up against Will Fries, uh, you know, who he struggled against last year, or Rashid Walker, uh, obviously a young guy, Des Holmes in there as well. He's just, uh, he's a guy that you have to account for on every play. Uh, and I'm curious how how Penn State will handle him because really nobody's been able to stop him this year. Um, So I'm going to go with Chase Young because I think the, the the ripple effect that Chase Young can have getting to the quarterback can impact the rest of your offense. And if your offense isn't clicking, all of a sudden you're in third and 17 or something because of something Chase Young did. I mean, you're kind of giving up on that possession and, and and going with it. So I'm going to go with Young. I think there's a couple uh, of good scenarios in there, keeping Justin Fields' yardage down. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you're trying to keep his touchdowns down is with it with this offense. Dobbins at four yards of carry, it's kind of you know you you want Dobbins to carry it as much as possible, you know, to keep the ball out of the air, to keep uh, you know to sort of take the air out of the out of the ball, perhaps. Um, so but I'll go with Chase Young. This offensive line of Penn State's has played well this season. But again, it's it's something unlike they've seen uh, the, the rest of the year. Ohio State's defensive front's going to make them uh, make them work. And if they can get it done, I mean, that's a big uh, recipe for Penn State staying in the game.
0: Yeah, that commenter with a nice Rutgers jab and, and a really nice pick-your-poison question. So one of the better mailbag questions that, that I remember here on the show. Uh, hopefully we'll get to some more mailbags uh, moving forward here, and certainly we'll be leaning on them a bit more once we hit you, the off season. You but. just said that, so the next <laughs> question, he wouldn't give you a Rutgers jab,
1: uh, uh, it's buttering, okay. buttering
0: our guys up. Um, I'm a realist. I understand the situation. But, Sean, um, you and I both hit the road to Columbus on Saturday. We've spoken for over an hour, but I will say anything else to add?
1: No, I think we covered it. If you got this far, congratulations, because you probably, like I said, pissed at us for talking about how good Ohio State is. You don't want to hear that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how Penn State handles this game. I mean, this could be one that could 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 get out, could possibly get out of hand. We don't say that too often uh, going in the other direction. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how James Franklin and his staff handle it. You'd like to see the defense maybe recover and take that step back. If they can do that, they can certainly be in this game. But uh I mean, Ohio State in Columbus in November, that's a a tough one, man.
0: Follow along, Lions 24-7 coverage through the end of this week with any Nittany Lions news and notes, any recruiting stuff that pops up. And, of course, on game day, we have you covered with everything. We'll be on the field for pregame warm-ups. Get a close look at Noah Kane, KJ Hamler, see how things are trending towards kickoff. Uh, But for now, we'll step away. Thank you for joining us, as always. Post-game podcast live from Ohio Stadium We'll see what kind of topics we are discussing when the time comes. We'll see you then.